Hey, hey, Lois. Hey, hey, Lois. I'm cutting this out. <laughs> I can already hey, tell. Hey, Lois. Am I Lois? Well, do you see anyone else? Uh, <laughs> what is it, level? Peter? <laughs> uh, have you heard about what's happening? It's it's the freaking sweet 14th episode oh. of Got the Runs. Uh. <laughs> the comics podcast that is just doing really well for itself and you you just it makes you know because we're doing family guy impressions that things are going really good well okay what would you have me say not say freaking sweet (laughs) you managed it for episode four i will say by the time we hit the 20s i feel like this bit is going to uh become progressively more difficult but of course that's a long way off right now we have much more pressing matters to address here which is of course the third of our four episodes is that right that's correct well it's our fifth episode on brian k vaughn and it is our third episode on one of his seminal works certainly we are talking why the last man this is the oh wait no this is the second time that we have had a three episodes devoted to one comic right yes we did three eps for zot as well yeah so next episode will be the record breaker and then no there's nothing else uh nothing else gets the four episode treatment so it's not well, only, uh, only because uh saga breaks down so neatly into uh three yes so we have the the y and the z you could say as <coughs> our uh, most covered comics no <laughs> nothing nothing there i had to clear um, my throat so <laughs> uh, hey it worked for uh, dj cool of course <laughs> worked for uh, rush oh tom sawyer yyz oh i thought you were talking about clear i was referring to the song oh. let me clear my throat oh. <laughs> right <laughs> it worked for kyle xy <laughs> uh, but yes why the last man of course written by brian k vaughn so is it just that there's sort of like tag teaming penciling dude because so for i think for all three of the trades that the issues we're talking about are compiled under it credits piagera and goren suzuka yes i'm sure that accent on the z means that it's pronounced in a different way but we'll roll with that suzuka joe i call him oh uh jose marzan the big marzipan handling inking duties and then massimo carnival or carnavale handling all of the covers for the issues in question some really good covers i would say yeah there are some some uh, killers on here it's a it's a series for covers no doubt yes most assuredly i mean lots of potential for it too yet i know once we get into the uh whichever arc it is where uh photography <laughs> becomes a relevant <laughs> yes, subject paper dolls. there's some yes paper dolls there are some fun photographic covers but of course well, hold. I have to answer your question first about uh, our buddy Gordon. About Lois? Oh. No. <laughs> no. Although, speaking of uh, the family guy, this first arc is one that I think Peter would really enjoy. In what respect? Sorry, in what respect? Because <laughs> girl on girl, he's horny, oh. I guess, kind I, of. Yeah, I mean, yes, he would, of he's course, not, appreciate. He's not horny. No. I mean, is he horny? Like, I feel like. He he has a very, you know, like typically masculine sense of sexuality, you know, where like he I feel like he approaches, for example, two women making love with the same sort of excitement that he would appro- approach his beloved Patriots going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, Peter. I think that if he saw that there was a comic called Girl on Girl, then just like the portrait of Obama, he would pick it up and give it a gentle kiss before (laughs) hanging it on his wall. Oh, yes, Peter. (laughs) Famously voted for Obama. So the least Anyways, thing to ever so happen. I think so Pia Guerra is like the series artist. I think the way it basically broke down was when she needed time to like get ahead on an arc, they would call in Suzuka and he would come and do basically like a hero's journey issue for one of the different characters. Okay. This makes sense because because we we get a lot of those throughout this collection of issues. Yeah, we sure do. Uh we get I think five all all in yeah. all and if you because if you look at his six, if you look at his issues he does boy loses girl which is like the beth hero's journey issue he does the hour of our death which is like the catch up with other beth buttons which is the yeah. uh, 355 origin issue a thousand typewriters which is the ampersand origin <laughs> issue <laughs> giving the people what they want uh and then the tin man which is the doctor man issue and Jahana, which is the altar issue yes okay so that makes sense yes i mean we we can get into the the way that people sort of get these little solo issues uh peppered throughout this run but it's pretty pretty interesting decision yeah I think I think Vaughn probably has these stories kind of in his back pocket, knowing that he can slot them in kind of any time. Um, so it's whenever like penciling a monthly book is tough for most artists to keep on top of. So I think it's basically any time that Pia Guerra needs like a bit of extra time to get caught up or stay on top of an arc. They just it's like a perfect kind of plug in and play solution. Right. Okay, that makes more sense. So I mean, well, let's start with. Um... Our most classic segment. It's beloved, is what I've heard. The Which forums is... are lighting up. <laughs> yes, our our pro boards are are lit up with messages and support. The Discord of. is going crazy for this. Well, segment. This, I mean, everyone's yeah. Whenever a new one drops, the at everyone gets dropped. People react <laughs> with angry pings or angry reaction emotes. Um, you know, Peepo makes his appearance, etc. But of course. It's time for just what is going on here. So I'm looking at number 32 here, I believe, is the issue, correct? That is the first issue of this stretch, yes. Yes. And this cover is, I mean, like, it's well drawn, I suppose, but mainly <laughs> it's just like, it's just a it's just a butt, really, <laughs> is the only way I can describe it. Certainly it's front and center, so to speak. I mean, it's got a skull on it, so you know, maybe that booty will kill you. Will get you hootie, <laughs> as we often like to say. But yes, not and also I guess that's not ampersand. That is, uh, oh, what's the Bonnie the other is the yes. uh, the girl monkey? Yes, I suppose the existence of the eye patch suggests that it is in fact Bonnie rather than ampersand. But she wearing an there's eye also patch? a monkey. Yeah, <laughs> the, there's a. I don't think she does in the comic, but she definitely cover, doesn't in the comic. On the cover, there is indeed a monkey wearing an eye patch, which is frankly a good bit. Can't get enough. <laughs> Um, and of course, that bit is being exercised on purpose. Captain Kalina, Kalina, Kalina is how I read it. A lot of a lot of interesting names mm-hmm. popping up in these uh, these groups of arcs. But the first arc or first volume that we are touching on here, it's the sixth trade paperback, and it is as you previously alluded to, Peter Griffin's favorite thing to watch i guess girl on girl <laughs> i mean concept to consider 
concept to ruminate upon. <laughs> uh, yeah, so when, of course, when we last left our heroes, they were heading to Japan following Ampersand's tracker, having he having been kidnapped by our friend Toyota. Uh, so we are now on the ship, the whale. Um, Yorick has, of course, been smuggled aboard. There are <laughs> some strange pirates. There's the big dumb sort of one. A, yeah, there's sort of a sort of a small guy, big guy. She's not of. that small. She's, it's true. She's, there's a normal sized one who has a spicy attitude, and there's a big dumb one. Yes, a classic big dummy, <laughs> a real a real vintage execution of the form. But yes, but more importantly is Captain Kalina, the captain of this vessel, which is sort of a combination freighter slash i guess cruise liner it's a it's a retro it's a, it's a cruise converted liner. cruise liner yeah this this whole arc is a real like like state of the world post gender side or, or whatever <laughs> you know name they have used for it of being like I, well, maybe we should show what's going on in the world of sh- international shipping <laughs> let's see what's happening in international waters <laughs> yes and i think this also it's interesting because, I mean, the first thing when I saw that we were on a boat, I was like, oh, no, because I was immediately reminded of that issue of Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it's not that different from that issue of Swamp Thing, although with some stronger motivations for the for the killer. So we, we meet Captain Kalina, who was the third officer of the boat and was since indirectly promoted mm-hmm. <laughs> to being its captain. Assumed command. Yes. And we sort of get... We get what has now become the Yorick thing, sort of. And in some ways, that gets deconstructed. Um, I think a little later, they sort of talk about this idea that Yorick tends to just automatically fall for women who like his pop culture references. Yeah. Uh, slash, like, yeah, he, he like, lampshades it a little bit and is like, I have now realized that uh, actually there are a lot of <laughs> women out there who, like, get it when I make... A pop culture reference and that's yeah, not I'm talking like, like star trek or yeah. just some random but it's like okay. does it make them my soulmate which a uh, good good moment of self-awareness i guess for him yes and then we we get a you know the classic yorick sort of romantic attraction kind of thing well she's got the last detail on dvd what do you know what that is it's like a jack nicholson movie right it's like uh oh. well in that case oh. maybe, I'll, maybe i'll come on to talk about it <laughs> Now, when we were making The Last Deet, as I called it, uh-huh. I walked up to, uh, here, let me just check Wikipedia. Randy Quaid. <laughs> walked up to, oh, Hal Ashby. And I said, Hal, in a couple of years, you're going to make a motion picture called Shampoo that's going to be gangbusters <laughs> for you. And he just nodded at me. And of course, we uh, we know what happened next. We do, I suppose, know what happened then. <laughs> he made Shampoo, of course. Of course. Oh, Jack's got a million of those stories. Yeah, great yeah, to have Jack um, on the cast. Uh, uh, go Lakers. I was about to ask Jack what he thought of <laughs> this year's Lakers squad. Can they repeat? <laughs> I was going to make a comment about uh, about some recent news, and I realized I don't want to don't date us too hard. Oh, yeah. Heaven forbid. <laughs> We've heaven managed forbid. so far to do, do a perfect... <laughs> we certainly don't talk about it being Super Bowl Sunday in any episode. <laughs> I'm sure we go back to episode two, it'll be like, well, Halloween's coming up. <laughs> we have Ronald Reagan voices in the first few episodes. <laughs> Will <laughs> Ronald Reagan gets a, a bit of a shout out at one of the issues uh, in here. We'll get we'll get to that when we 
get to it, does. I suppose. Have you, have you seen Boy State? There's a, I was going to say a character, but he is in fact a person <laughs> who has a Ronald Reagan action figure and everything that goes along with that. Sounds highly collectible, certainly. Um, yeah, so so we sort of get this thing again. Yeah, you know, we've seen it. Um, so who have we seen? We've seen Beth. We've seen Sonia. I feel like there's at least one other person. That's pretty much it. But yeah, it's just the sort of like, well, you're the last man. <laughs> like, I'm naturally going to be drawn to you, which is like, I mean, on the one hand, understandable, but on the other hand, feels... It can't help but feeling like a little bit of a retread, I think. Uh, yeah, I guess a bit. I mean, it's. I think it is fair when he says, like, I've kissed, like, three girls in three, three years, which, you know, for the being the last man alive, I feel like that's fair to say pretty pretty good self-restraint in all <laughs> so likelihood. That's a forgivable batting average. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but, of course, their romantic infatuation is much less, much less significant than... What else we see in this issue, which is that 355 and Dr. Man do a little kiss. They have a little kiss and they do a little hug. They wear each other's glasses or not glasses. Right. We, we finally see... Allison uh... wears 355's not glasses. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's dig into this a little. Um, uh-huh. It gets... You know, spoiler alert. It does get walked back pretty quickly. And pretty hard. But it's all. It also does seem like it's something that's been being built to for a while now. I mean, like certainly, yeah, it's they've a, alluded to Doctor Man's attraction to three fifty five several times, and it's it's you know it's a more realized relationship than anything we've seen thus far. Certainly, people who've shared more than one issue together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then it it can't help. I feel like feel a little like. These two characters, like, <laughs> we have three characters, one of them is Yorick. I mean, I, and again, at the end of this collection of issues, we get sort of a hint towards the possibility of a bit of a, not a love triangle, but certainly some, some further romantic entanglements between our sort of three lead characters. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, is this just, <laughs> is this sort of just defaulting to what is available in terms of, like, creating some romantic spice in the book? I don't no, I don't think so. I think it's kind of an opportunity to humanize 355 a bit more and especially to see her away from Yorick and and helps make her I guess like a bit more of an individual in a in a way. Like it's it's a rare glimpse of I guess like who she is when she's off duty. The only thing I don't love about it is like the fact that she so seems to so quickly relax when she's like clearly not happy about leaving York alone with Kalina, that to then just be like, well, <laughs> I guess <laughs> I guess I'll have sex with Doctor Man <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of watching him as I normally would. Yes, and it, it I mean it feels a little bit arbitrary. I mean maybe the whole <laughs> by default it's going to feel arbitrary no matter where you put it, sort of, but. Just like the fact that it happens now specifically doesn't really feel like it's like it doesn't feel like the culmination of anything in particular rather other than there's been this sort of romantic tension building for a while. Yeah, I think. Um, well, we'll maybe we'll talk about it a bit more in our next episode. But I think if this book has a weak spot as a whole, the romance is not uh, just it's just rarely like kind of forefronted. And I think considering that 60 issues is a lot of space to do a lot of things it's it's it does he doesn't always make the best use of that space to make romance 
uh, a part of the book, and it, that, which it makes sense. It's not a romance book, but I think it would be asking a lot considering that romance has certainly been secondary to sexuality as far as those things go in the book up to this point to to expect romantic moments to have the same kind of oomph as you know the more the more action and suspense elements of the book which get a lot more page space yeah i'd certainly agree with that and you know things <laughs> I, I don't know i i don't know how i feel i mean obviously we'll see how all of these romantic side plots get involved and obviously like you said it gets walked back pretty hard by uh putting allison together with rose which you know is obviously not as much of a built-up relationship but maybe feels a little bit more like a real relationship for that reason because Mm -hmm. i think it's i think the idea is sort of like we've seen the two of them together for long enough that like it feels like if this was just going to happen sort of randomly and like very casually because like 355 walks it back very quickly like why hasn't this happened already is sort of how it feels to me yeah i think it's the combination of elements of like it's suggested that uh she's so horny because she's knitting they're they're bored because they're like stuck on the ship with nothing to do and yorick is like not around and not going to be around for the foreseeable future and that's just like a rare combination of elements that the two of them have not really been in up to that point right and so at this point, I mean, I don't know how strong your memory is of these issues, but at this point, I'm obviously assuming that this that Captain Kalina is going to end up being the bad person in some way in this arc. But of course, that's not the case because we see at the end of the first issue of this arc, we're introduced to Rose, who... So is she... She was a member of the crew at one point or no? Of, of like the... Of the whale. So yeah, she's she's one of the like new girls. They allude to having like just picked up a bunch of new crew members um before before setting out for Japan. So she's one of them. I think 355 is also one of them. Certainly Dr. Man seems to be like paying her way by acting as like the doctor for the ship. Right, because we only yes, the this the sort of association of the three of them isn't revealed until Yorick emerges obviously. Yeah. But yes, but we find out quite quickly that Rose is uh, more or less the villain of this arc. I mean, what what I think is really one of the very good things about this arc, one of the stronger elements of it, is that it feels like it works in shades of gray in a way that feels much more successful. And it also, um, what I what I think is most interesting about it, at least compared to like Marisville, is what I'm mainly thinking of here. Mm-hmm. Like, it casts Yorick in the role of like defending bad behavior rather than ag- aggressing on bad behavior if that makes yeah, sense yeah because in marisville he is the these women are criminals and therefore <laughs> must be behind bars which you know obviously is a slightly wild take that gets pointed out as such during this arc i believe um but yeah so we it's revealed that rose is a spy she's working for the australian military um and they are being tracked by a submarine Initially, we're, I think, made to believe that they're tracking Yorick, but in fact, they are tracking, basically, these ships are trafficking heroin. <laughs> yes, the that's so, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it is interesting. You're right. Kalina is not like the villain per se, but she's also not not the villain. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think it works very strongly in terms of the way it presents both perspectives and it, it flip flops a lot, it feels like, between who were meant to be feeling sympathetic towards yeah it, it keeps it it keeps it kind of unclear 
who we should be believing or trusting or what the intentions of either Rose or Kalina are until like basically the climax of the arc, uh, which is when it becomes like very, very clear that Kalina has been trafficking heroin and views it as a good thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sees it as but, a public service. But, I mean, but also like, I think that the, her argument, I think, I mean, maybe it's just me, but it, it doesn't come across as like the sort of, the typical the villain thinks that they're the right one sort of argument, you know? Uh, it comes across more that mm-hmm. there is some nuance to everything. And, I mean, it's not like Rose is a super <laughs> sympathetic character. I mean, she does, like, blow up a bunch of people by <laughs> shooting a tiny <laughs> explosive thing or whatever it is that she does exactly. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of the time, up, up to pretty much the end almost, and even at even the conclusion of the storyline also does this i mean it it feels like yorick gets sidelined a lot in this arc in terms of uh and this sort of gets back to what we were talking about last episode where he's sort of put in this passive or more submissive role more like fairly often mainly because he is like the least competent of the main characters but you know like his his romantic story sort of gets sidelined for dr mans he is not the person who's really in control of any of it other than like breaking them out of prison at near the end um and Mm -hmm. even at the end when he sort of goes in to confront kalina he ends up getting knocked out and then thrown overboard basically by her in a lifeboat granted but yeah i i just thought it was interesting the degree to which yorick is sort of made powerless as a player in this uh in this arc yeah he's he's certainly like it is it is definitely a lot more of a 355 and dr man's story overall i think the outcome of it advances dr man the most of the three principal characters there is a bit of like an opportunity to showcase how york has changed from marisville but i agree he's he's kind of like a a bit player in his own story a little bit in this yeah and another another big thing that sort of comes up i mean and it's not it's not fully reckoned with i wouldn't say but the idea i mean again we go back to sort of the idea of york being cursed or that everything everything york loves dies much like timmy turner's mom in that one episode of fairly odd parents (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't want to go for uh the sculptor is that something that happens to the... oh right i <laughs> i keep forgetting all the plot elements of the sculptor like i feel like i have a, i feel like if i were forced it does just doesn't have the staying power of quote that one episode of fairly odd <laughs> i mean it kind of does it also I, I assume i saw that one episode of fairly odd parents like five times in my childhood but yeah, I mean, I feel like if i were forced to r- sit down and write everything that happened to the sculptor i could do it but if i'm it doesn't immediately jump to mind for me in terms of specific plot points. Of course, as we all know, in that one episode of Fairly Odd Parents, Timmy Turner's mom bemoans everything I touch dies <laughs> because she is unable to make her garden grow. Um, but yes, mm-hmm. and so, and that sort of the whole Yorick is cursed narrative comes up at the end, which sort of has Kalina rejecting the idea that. All that basically that all women are supporting characters in Yorick's story, and I think that's sort of Brian K. Vaughan trying to maybe reckon with a, a pretty inherent <laughs> problem with his narrative. I would say I think if you make a story about the last man on Earth, then that's going to uh, create that problem pretty naturally. But I also feel like you know, right? He he feels a little trapped in it, maybe, and so it's him sort of 
acknowledging it without actually having to do anything about it because I don't think he can very easily in terms of mechanical elements of the story. Agreed. He he gets a lot of mileage out of the submarine captain and just like general one-liners. So many so many of the submarine scenes end with like a close shot on her dropping like some like yes half or joke. just like say like <laughs> saying man overboard is the most prominent example of this. Well, yeah, saying saying man overboard is a big one. The end of the first issue where it's the shot of the submarine and she's saying. Um, forward australia Australia brave or whatever it uh yes uh a fun character um i does she she end up she ends up getting killed doesn't she and no i think she makes it because she discharges rose quote unquote discharges a lot of like tertiary characters in the course of this chunk of issues just get obliterated most notably at the end of the last issue of this story arc we have the return of alter who is being <laughs> being presided over by Sadie, who is now a Court judge. Court by Sadie, yes, who's wearing yes, judge's robes. Yes, but of course, Alter's, uh, Alter's compatriots are loyal to her, as usual, and just <laughs> destroy Sadie by firing squad. Yes, R.I.P. Sadie. She was a she real, was a real one. one. And so, yes, and so that's the sort of, like like we talked about last episode, episode it's a lot of characters getting put back on the board and and expanding the board too considering we have toyota out there dr man's mother and then we're adding rose uh we're bringing back alter yeah lots of lots of people to uh <laughs> worry about keep track of for our uh yes and i i mean heroes. obviously you know we're still a good 15 issues or so away at this point but i was sort of struck at the end of this group of issues, I was like, oh, yeah, like, we are almost at the end here. <laughs> like, there's only so much more that can happen in the next, like, 10 issues. So, like, things mm-hmm. are really going to start coming to a head here pretty soon. But then we get, uh, like you said, one of these filler issues. So, there are six filler issues uh, in this collection between issues 32 and 48. This is the first one, Boy Loses Girl. It's about Beth. And the general structure these issues take are... You get what the person is currently up to interspersed with flashback to their childhood and sort of what they were up to. What, what, yeah, what they were doing leading up to the yes. moment that the play And then another, another common thread of these is these like sort of foreboding nightmares. Uh, a seagull mm-hmm. is often featured, I believe, uh, talking <laughs> to people and giving them foreboding warnings. Well, yeah, and Beth is certainly hopped up on hallucinogenics uh, in this, yes, we this issue. Yes, we see so. her in the pretty, I believe it's the first page of this issue. She is like naked, tied to a tree in the outback. Yes, surrounded kangaroos. by coyotes, dead coyotes. I, I was thinking kangaroos. Kangaroos, but... yeah, something. Yeah, they do kind of look like kangaroos, it's true. And then, of course, on the second page, we learn Yorick sucks so bad. <laughs> Because he says he has a dream about about Beth. He's just like, this whole scene is, he's so weird and so annoying. He's being very Yorick-ish. Certainly. Just like, imagine (laughs) someone coming and telling you this spiel about French. That you say, I'm studying French. And they're like, oh, here's my take on French. Yeah, but then again, they are in college. (laughs) But yes. That's true. Yorick's bidding pretty hard, but also like... I prefer it when Yorick is the one doing the bidding rather than 
characters who don't feel like they should be behaving in this way. Like when he, whenever he ends up like having to write a scene where it's two characters together and one of them isn't Yorick, it feels like he still has to make mm-hmm. one of the characters very Yorickish. <laughs> and then, like in the like in the Doctor Man three fifty five scene in this in the previous arc, the girl on girl arc. They, like it has her saying something on three fives like you're talking like Yorick. <laughs> she like, puts puts <laughs> yeah, literally puts a Yorick line yes, into Doctor Man's mouth. Yes, and then is just like sorry about that, <laughs> which is a I feel like a, a a bit of a classic Bond thing, like recognizing problems but just sort of pointing them out rather than necessarily changing them. Um, not that he's always in a great position to do so, of course. Um, but yes, like you said, we get the backstory of Yorick and Beth. Their first real conversation. Beth was dating Yorick's roommate. <laughs> that didn't know who he was. <laughs> well, they only went out for tough, a month, of course. Tough stuff for Yorick. And then we get, much like we got with Hero, we get the immediate aftermath of the gender side as they begin to describe it, or some people begin to describe it. Yes, the manslaughter, I believe it's called somewhere <laughs> yes, that's else. The, that's the Japanese translation of what right. they call it which is pretty good as well the seagull uh, makes its debut yes <laughs> a funny thing about the seagull that uh, i'm just noticing now the the way they letter his um beach is the same way that uh, matthew the raven from sandman is lettered mm. so i think it's supposed to it's like it, it's the bird he's he's uh matthew is sandman's like raven sidekick uh, who hangs out in the dreaming mm-hmm. so i think this is supposed to be like a hey check it out this dream bird <laughs> talks like matthew the raven it's classic bird stuff uh yes and so we get these series of dr- of dreams slash flashbacks where it's different parts of it's mostly her and york's relationships um yep. there's also like we get the secret origin of the straight jacket <laughs> yes um and then the i think sort of the most interesting part is the end of the issue it's a sequence where Yorick is being attacked by a giant ampersand and then Beth turns into a superhero to save him. But then also, she, so she makes this observation that this is your dream. She turns into a very sexualized uh, superhero character and flies mm-hmm. around saving Yorick. And saves Yorick's life, yes. yes. And then acknowledges that she, well, she literally says, I'm living your dream. And so so what do you, what do you make of this, <laughs> generally speaking? Yeah, this is a layered scene, I would say. Uh, in the script, it notes that her like her costume design, the X, like she's supposed to be XX woman. Right. Because she like her mask makes kind of an X shape and then there's an X across her chest as well. So I, I'm I'm putting together the I and and obviously the I'm living in your dream, like Yorick's dream, at least as conceived of by by Beth or or Beth's subconscious is for Yorick to be able to be passive and basically let the women in his life care for him and protect him when he's in danger and yeah the the I mean obviously the bit where he tells her that he's alive which crazy to have a dream where your <laughs> your boyfriend <laughs> says he's alive and be like it must be true but yeah and and your um, I mean ampersand is King Kong and being like the thing that he needs to be saved from, I feel like there's something there as well that I haven't connected all the dots with yet. <laughs> right. Well, he's, I mean, I guess you could see him as sort of the embodiment of the disease itself. Or or, or like the embodiment of masculinity, yeah. yeah. Or or even uh, like the embodiment of the responsibility to like restore masculinity, given what we now know about 
ampersand and his being the possible key to viable human cl- like male clones right and yes and and all of this stuff is yeah it's interesting and then at the same time like i almost wonder like i wonder how much of this is even like intentional on the part of Vaughn to some extent because it doesn't feel like the kind of things that are often touched on in the book like the sort of sort of Yorick's relationship with traditional gender roles is something that isn't usually talked about other than maybe as a as a comedic element mm-hmm. his sort of sensitivity and lack of very traditional masculine qualities is usually a joke rather than something that is like really dug into and i mean it's dug into to some extent in safe word but again like i it feels still a little unresolved or not deeply explored during during that arc either yeah it's i'll be interested to like revisit this issue or or talk about this dream sequence in particular a little bit more at the end i think that this like yeah you're you're right that like his his like relationship to his own masculinity and the the like i'm gonna say based on already knowing the ending which i do (laughs) yeah that's that's part of what makes this a part a little tough for me because like this is the point at which we are sort of moving more towards the conclusion and having Mm -hmm. the the pieces without having the conclusion and seeing how these maybe converge it also makes it a little difficult for me to to read into it too much yeah, I think knowing knowing the ending as I do and just knowing which elements um, have kind of been more the focus in terms of the actual like explicit text, that this part is is more about Yorick's perception of response, like the responsibility of masculinity, both in kind of like the very like plot oriented sense of like his responsibility or, or perceived responsibility to preserve masculinity and to ensure that that like maleness survives on like a biological level to to see another generation and also about his like on a on a secondary level basically his his relationship with masculinity as a concept and where he sees like responsibility for himself like quote unquote as a man and maybe the ways that he feels that he's fallen short in that needing to be constantly saved by women but it's all it's hard to read into as far as like it says this about york when it's like beth's right dream. yes but but she says i'm in your dream so it's like <laughs> you know it's like yeah it's it's got all it's got a lot of layers yes tiramisu as malcolm Moore once said freaking seven layer dip <laughs> sure that's something. Why not? Speaking of seven, we can move on now to the seventh trade paperback, <laughs> which oh. is at, at this point, I feel like they start getting titles that are different. Oh, no, this one is called Paper Dolls. I'm pretty sure this one's Paper yeah, Dolls. Maybe it's yeah. the next one that gets called something other than uh, than one of the arcs in the title. No, it's called. Never mind. Maybe it's the ninth one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't one think of the, so. <laughs> one of these days it'll pay off. Uh-huh. But yes, Paper Dolls, we, after this sort of brief interlude, we are in Australia. Uh, We're in, what is it, Perth? Or where are we? I Sydney? think we're in Sydney. Yeah. And basically, the way things have sort of ended up is Rose has joined their crew to some extent. Yes. Ostensibly because she's been discharged from the Navy and has nowhere else to go, we will, of course, learn actually she's been assigned to keep tabs on Yorick by her captain. Right. Um, and then at the same time, and, and yes, and so the two people split up because 
the two people or the two sorry the two groups so it's york and 355 well well first of all we established that there's a reporter in australia yes that's true who has been like basically collecting like gossip stories about a possible existence of uh a fabled last man and paying for it with tea yes and which is and you know our friend peter huh he he famously would do something oh. for all the tea in China. <laughs> yes, yeah, I believe uh, he he takes he would, advantage he offers of them free to Tibet. Tibet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Family Guy is pretty funny, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> They're like, I feel like if you just you could just sit down and write like a hundred Family Guy jokes down that are quite funny, <laughs> and spread I mean, those out over hey. like five hundred episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Staying power is uh, certainly My, there. Rugby Anyways. sends you the, uh, and it also, of course, for everyone listening, look up the Family Guy production logo bit. It's very funny. I'll send it to you after. <laughs> but yes, and so, like you said, we, we get introduced to this reporter who, you know, is is clearly a hack and is working for a tabloid. Yes. Rather than... But, but used to be legit, question mark? Yeah, it's not clear. Rather than being you know, on Yorick's trail specifically, I think it seems like she sort of gets lucky here. Yeah, I don't I don't think like she might be following up on a rumor of some kind that is somewhat legitimate. Oh, yeah, it's she says she says she's following up on uh, a reader who wrote in to say that she met a living male in August near you near New York who said he was going to Australia. Right, I see. So she's in Australia seeing, did he ever make it? Was it ever real? But also, like, doesn't take it that seriously. Right. The So they are in Australia, um, but only for 24 hours because the submarine captain, who, which is where they end up at the end of the last volume, I don't even know if we mentioned that, but the, the whale goes down and they end up on this submarine, which has previously been chasing them. Yes. So they end up in Australia, but they're only staying to refuel for 24 hours before moving on to Japan, which obviously is where they need to go to get to Ampersand. But Yorick wants to at least have some kind of opportunity to look for Beth. And so he and 355 go out to do that for, for 24 hours while Dr. Mann and Rose just sort of hang out. Is that the idea? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they're they're on the ship. They're cooling it. I think Rose is, is Rose injured from the fight on the ship. Well, she was that she was that stabbed that by Captain Kalina, but right, she's not she's right. not as she is in worse condition later on is what I think you're thinking mm -hmm. of. And it's also previous, it's established at the end of, uh, not Paper Dolls, Girl on Girl, that Rose mm -hmm. is also gay, which comes into play. So they go to the place where Rose said she was going to be, or where she was supposed to be. Where where Beth said yes, she sorry, was, Beth, or not was Rose. supposed to be, yes. With, uh, they, they have finally clued in to uh, the bit they sold, stole from the Sakakis ring, Yorick in a burka, that is bloodstained. <laughs> yes, the Satake ring, of course. Um, was that intentional? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, Sakakis is a lot easier to say. But yes, but rather than finding Beth, they just find a note that appears to be written in blood uh, from her, I think, research partner, Margot, mm -hmm. basically just saying, if you're alive, come to Palmer's, which I didn't even realize plays plays a role later. And then they they get jumped by some heroin junkies, and then eventually, mm -hmm. they end up meeting up with this reporter lady. What's her name? 
The Her research is strong today. Is <laughs> she's just such a she's like in it for one arc and and never again. Her name is Paloma West. That's <laughs> most memorable. Of me. names. I mean, it is memorable in a way, but certainly. So Paloma West. <laughs> yeah, she shows up. She tases Doctor or uh, three fifty five. Which good good. Yeah, bit. I mean, certainly greater women have tried and failed. And then <laughs> York shows up. And, I mean, he doesn't show up. He's there. Uh, she makes him strip and takes a picture of his pebis, which we get to see. Now, what's up? Let's let's have some extended dialogue about York's pebis. I feel that several times he has been alluded to as tiny or otherwise had jokes made about uh, his general endowment. Mm-hmm. He will later bemoan that he didn't even have a chance to get fluffed, I guess, basically. <laughs> yes, he refers to himself as preternaturally has... flaccid. Yes. And, but we see him full frontal in this picture. Looks pretty average to me. Oh. For a, a preternaturally flaccid penis. Okay, this is interesting <laughs> that you're revealing this about yourself. <laughs> Hold on. And he does establish as well that he's a grower, not a shower. Yeah. Well, I mean, few few of us would know what the, the details in that regard. Uh, of York? Yeah. I mean... He, well, he's up front. He says he's a grower. Yes, but, but of course, we, we haven't seen him erect. Is what right, I'm that's true. <laughs> if if Paloma had given him a second... Yes. Why, would, he would why is that what he wants? <laughs> like, but yes, we, we see him. Uh, apparently, David considers that to be average. I mean, you can make the judgment for yourself. <laughs> I just think he looks normal and, uh, and healthy. So actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm here for, for a normalizing healthy image of... Sure. Uh, healthy and realistic image of what uh, an average penis actually looks yes, like. Yes, he's not... To me, I think he looks like he has a pretty average normal penis. Yes, it's not... Not... It's not so small that I would feel compelled <laughs> to comment on it if I had changed him while he was unconscious. I think that happens to him multiple times <laughs> over the course of the book. It does happen multiple times, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we love to make the little jokes. So, you know, York's going to, he's the last man. He's got to be the one to bear the brunt of some of these jokes is <laughs> where I land on this matter. <laughs> um, and then we get uh, the... I mean, He's got the biggest penis in the world, is all I have to say, and all he should have to say, too. Well, we, we haven't seen Ampersand in full, <laughs> on full display. That's true. In his full glory. Yes. Diapered only. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, we, we get a, a brief little flashback here. We, we will get a more complete one a few issues after this, but we get a brief flashback to 355's training Mm-hmm. When she works for... Which we'll, of course, see in more detail yes, later. Yes, she works with Agent 1033, which is her prime, uh, which we learn to be basically a male instructor who mentors the female mm-hmm. culprit ring agents. Yeah, this is where we get the expansion or expanded idea that, that women are the primary field agents of the culprit ring and men serve pretty much exclusively as instructors. Right. Is this also... I'm trying. There's another Hillary joke. Is <laughs> yeah. There is another Hillary ref. Is that here? Does that not come till later? Uh, th- that is it. That is the very next page. Oh. Rose asks Doctor Man if she thinks Hillary would be president if all the men hadn't died. And this is and, the 2004 uh, election. <laughs> yeah, at which we should say this issue comes out, I believe, in 2006. Yes, or or 2000 after the election. So to speak. yes, there and he's she, riffing of on. Says, 
even Americans wouldn't have been dumb enough to give Junior a second term, and Clinton would have been the front runner of the Dems' sad little field. Yes, a classic bit. So shots at uh, John Kerry. Uh, <laughs> didn't John Kerry run in the no, first that's one? Gore, of course. Hang oh, chats. There you go. Shots at John Kerry. Swift boats. <laughs> I know. I know. Like I know. Like three things about every U.S. presidential election. <laughs> so I can just sort of deploy those as needed. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, another another Clinton bit. It's funny that he never, or at least as far as I've seen, I don't think remarks on whether or not she is alive or not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, she must be right. But also, like, wouldn't she be president now? Like, wouldn't well, wouldn't she get a lot, like? Even though I think, I think she. It, yeah, I guess if in a world where she is alive i have a hard time imagining that she doesn't win the subsequent election yes because we we get but some we, more which we hear specifically yes, that yeah, president here. valentine wins a second term yes when it's basically implied that it's solely due to name recognition for the most part <laughs> uh yes and of course we learned that queen elizabeth certainly is alive and kicking shout out to queenie still running the commonwealth yep keeping keeping the trains running on time yes and you know we get we get a few not flirtatious conversations but sort of relationship building conversations between uh rose and dr man i feel like this is maybe this is a good time to talk about this like on the well it's actually on the cover of kimono dragons the next issue or the next volume that this gets referenced but Mm -hmm. the line that's used on the cover of that trade is it's from NPR, All Things Considered. <laughs> and they say, the year's okay, best proceed. movie is a comic book. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> I did see that too. Th- yeah, they're like... It's funny that we haven't talked about it, but people have been obsessed with Why the Last Man being anything except a comic book. Like We, did, we talked about a little one. bit about the TV like, show in the first episode, I believe. We did talk about the TV show, but like... People have been clamoring for this to be like a movie or a TV show, like pretty much since, yeah, since the beginning, which I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would obviously translate well to, to No, film. not to a movie, but what I, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I thought it was sort of funny how much it feels prestige TV-ish to me. Like, I mean, and obviously that wasn't something that really existed at the time. Like, there was, like, HBO. But, you know, obviously not to the same degree that we see now. Uh, And maybe part of that is, like, this is sort of informed by Walking Dead being being a thing (laughs) for a very long time. But it gives me the same sort of vibes as Walking Dead does, where it's like, you have a new... Like, you have some central characters... And then you have a new season where they're in a new place. Their situation is a little different. New characters get introduced who are sort of only around for that season, essentially, is like, you know, each arc is sort of a season. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. And you're going to different locations. Like, you know, we've been now all over the United States. We've been in Australia. We're about to go to Japan. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me how much this, how TV-ish this feels to me. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's something to be said about the fact that he's, like, Vaughn is a trained TV writer by, like education he's writing for lost at this point as well so he's like he 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 his university degree was in screenwriting he is now like a working tv writer as well so it's not necessarily surprising per se that the stories are structured in very kind of like a seasonal 
way or and it's not or, like that is very different from how comics were have have been previously but yeah and and i will say too like it's almost like it, you could probably say something for why being one of the series that has an impact on the like the explosion of the trade market and like the collected editions market which will subsequently popularize quote unquote writing for the trade which is like the practice of making every every comic basically part of a six issue story arc that can be like neatly packaged up and resold again as a trade paperback to like almost a completely different audience right and and yeah cuz i think like the the popularity of why in trade is a series that contributed to that phenomenon quite a bit but uh, like writing for the trade isn't too much of a thing yet and you can tell that because he'll he has like three issue arcs that end up being the longest stories in in a trade whereas like saga is six issue arcs literally like clockwork like it's just every like six issue arc they take a few months off churn out another six issue arc like instead of having a hiatus or or doing like a fill-in issue uh, with a guest artist they just put the book on hiatus every six issues to make sure that they're caught up and then churn out another six issue uh trade like clockwork and not to say that like shorter stories have completely gone the way of all good things but i think that he's kind of at the dawn of that trend at this point and only contributes to like the further sort of seasonization of comics and how they're kind of designed in terms of their story structure yeah i think especially the way that especially by this point it pretty much feels like every every trade basically has one major arc in it and it might have a couple of one-offs or one one one-off at the end or you know sort of in addition to that but for the most part, every trade is basically telling you one story arc. Mm-hmm. So volume six is girl on girl, and then the the boy loses girl issue, which is the Beth issue. Mm-hmm. And then this one is, I think, Paper Dolls, which is uh, maybe this one's a little shorter. Paper Dolls than the is other three ones. issues, yeah. And then I think it's Buttons and uh, One Thousand Monkeys. Yeah, when, well, it's the hour of our death, which right, is the hero right. and Beth issue, buttons, and then a thousand typewriters. But yeah, and so that I think that definitely is part of it. And the fact that I'm reading it in a trade format is maybe contributing to that and just sort of the way that I perceive the, the flow of it. But going back to Paper Dolls, where were we? Uh, yeah, so 355 and Yorick confront this, uh, this woman who is you know sending her photos off to her editor um you know we get more scenes between allison and rose they fly a kite together mm-hmm. um, and then eventually they you know do the deed they do like they do indeed a pink lung is a wasted lung in the immortal so words of uh rose <laughs> yes i believe that's correct and let's hear your australian accent right now oh boy i don't uh <laughs> i can't really do an australian accent without inevitably uh slipping into a new zealand accent new zealand mm. uh <laughs> there's a little taste of that <laughs> oh uh-huh do you remember when we went on a cruise uh that was captioned captained by uh captain richard spacey of and course, of course, our our brother doing his Captain Richard Spacey impression for months to follow. One of the better Spaceys. <laughs> I can't speak to Captain Spacey's personal life, so I don't feel one hundred percent confident. We shouldn't, we shouldn't <laughs> assume. 
to say that, but uh, I bet I could name at least one worse Spacey. <laughs> well, just let him. Just let him, you know? Uh-huh. Be frank, that uh-huh. is. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yes, so 355, they, they get into a bit of a scuffle. <laughs> they end mm-hmm. up hanging out a window at one point. Yep. She uses her culprit ring skills to catch herself with one hand and the reporter with the other. <laughs> yes. Great. Slightly straining credulity. Great moment for 355. Yes, a solid play by her. Her bona fides well established at this point, but it still never hurts to see her in action. Yes, she really, she has some feats as the, uh, those <laughs> the, people the like to say. Win, uh, <laughs> yes, the who would win be, crowd. Yeah. And then we get the conclusion where Yorick has lifted her very, plane ticket. Very good bit. Yes, a great, a great solve. And then, but then Yorick decides it makes sense to let this happen because it's going to happen at some point, anyways. So better for it to happen in this stupid, bad tabloid rather than anywhere of actual repute, which. It does come back to bite him a little yeah. bit, but is, is... <laughs> I do like that he just ends up being wrong. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes. In fact, everyone does believe it. It's a good thought, though. He's very, very uh, proto QAnon in some ways. <laughs> People guess. don't trust the mainstream media. Yes, the mainstream media. The what is it called? The the Monthly Visitor. Yeah, something like that. And so they get directions to Palmer's, which is the place where Margot has told Beth to meet her. So they're hoping to find Beth there. Um, at the same time, we get this confirmation that Rose is still acting as a spy, uh, infiltrating the uh, the the Yorick squad. Mm-hmm. Do they have a Do they have a name that people call I don't them by? I think so. Okay. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> the... certainly not in universe. I don't think they have one out of universe either. Why, wise guys. Oh, that's pretty boy. good. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's as good as you're going to get, I think. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. And then we meet up with, is is this Margot who we meet? I believe, the, the yes, it is. It is Margot, I believe. Oh, also, on the way over here, Yorick says the N-word. <laughs> yes, he does return uh, 355's previous use. I believe he takes as an N-word pass <laughs> and drops it freely with no no rebuke. <laughs> no repercussions. <Yeah. laughs> she doesn't even address it. Yeah, like, does she's not. just like, so. It feels like it's not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like he has done it before somewhere in their in their travels and got like maybe a bit of a frown but <laughs> 55 has decided it's not worth it anymore yeah oh oh york <laughs> um but yes and so then we find out the 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 twist of it all which is that Beth has left, believing York to be alive, and she is meeting uh, <laughs> in the place that, that has special meaning for the both of them, which we saw in Boy Loses Girl, but York fails to understand. Arc de triomphe. Which is that if they, is it that just sort of, if were they ever to be separated? Well, she, would... was, she was supposed to go to Paris, and he said, I'll meet you there. And she said, where? He suggested the top of the Eiffel Tower, and she said. I'll lost sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, and she said, no, we'll do lark de triomphe because the eiffel tower is too phallic yeah. uh, um, we do also, also... nora uh, nora efron catching some strays <laughs> in, in these issues he, he references harry met when harry met sally being lame yeah which is just a terrible take oh, and frankly rude. we're gonna get some bad takes from yorick uh, on pop culture going down the stretch one of which i've already uh, alluded to to you and i'm certainly prepared to pop off on later <laughs> I don't think I remember this, but I'm excited. 
Um, yes, and then he uh, and then Sleepless in Seattle gets shaded as well. Indeed, you hate to see it. Uh, we do also learn that uh, at this gay bar, Beth is known as Bangin' Beth Deville, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> yes. hmm. <laughs> a real hmm, a real that, that. I would take pause if I was York, but he doesn't seem uh, seem <laughs> to read anything does, into that. He does question it at one point. He he says, "I'm." I have no idea how she'd know where to find a gay club. Twitch 355 just says, maybe she's not as big a homophobe as you. <laughs> and then York identifies himself as a friend of friend of Dorothy, uh-huh. which is pretty good. <laughs> Certainly not bad. Um, and then we get the final Smash bit cut of to the... Jennifer Brown crying over her son's nudes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My beautiful little fool, she says. <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, we get the, the sort of the, the season finale tag here where sec now secretary of the interior Brown is confronted by Alter, who has made her way back to the United States. It seems domes her <laughs> and then just kind of moves on, uh, pulls your classic D and D move. I shoot her with my gun. Right. Yes. <laughs> you never should have given me those guns. Never should have. Uh, I mean, those what? <laughs> <laughs> oh this is such an insight uh indeed i'm sure steph hopefully, jake and kenan are loving yeah, hopefully they're listening um future guests of the show no doubt i've decided jake at the very um, least <laughs> certainly uh and then we get like i said we get three straight of these uh interlude flashback issues uh so we start with hero this is the hour of our death well um, I, so I really he, think of this as more of the beth issue yeah, I mean, I, maybe I it's, just like it's Hero. a team up issue. It is. It's definitely. It's it's about the both of them for sure. Um, but we see Beth shows up in California, apparently solely or mostly to deliver this letter. Hero, uh, Hero to shows Beth. up in California. Yes, sorry, I keep messing up the names today. And then we get the reveal on the you know issue title splash yeah, page, the page turn. That, <laughs> yes, that Beth is severely pregnant. Um, she, I think she says she's what, like eight Fit months to burst <laughs> could, yes, could go at say. any moment um, and feels quite convinced that her child is in fact a boy. Mm-hmm. But of course, we'll learn that uh, <laughs> she's our favorite kind of child, a Bethany Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we're, really getting, <laughs> we're getting ourselves. That's, a, that's some family lore out there for all of you. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I'm sure someone's into it. Uh-huh. But yes, they get attacked by some Catholics. Yeah, they get, <laughs> they get a nun and some they Swiss get guards. Apprehended by the Swiss guard. This is a kind of a wild issue. It is it is a crazy issue. I kind of forget about it every time. <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, Halberds in this issue. <laughs> yes. So they get they get captured by the Swiss guard who are apparently traveling around the united states hunting for possible virgin births Mm -hmm. because and this is this is a very good catholic church bit um that takes place in this issue that the purpose of their mission is to find a living male so that he can be the pope so that he can then declare (laughs) that women that women are allowed to be popes Which is pretty funny, to be fair. Uh, it is pretty funny, and it also is like what you'd have to do, I guess. E- I mean, <laughs> yes, if you were still following the rules of the old world order, yes. certainly. It does, yeah. I mean, you'd have to be a true believer to be like, 
there is a virgin birth out there somewhere waiting for us to find it. Yeah, and they're just sort of rolling around. But it turns out it's not to be. Uh, Beth's son is, in fact, a daughter. Um, Our hero covers by saying that it was Beth was impregnated by a sperm bank that she saved because she's an Amazon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the two of them set off. Where exactly are they going? Oh, they're going to Kansas. They're, yeah, they're they're just following the the trail. Yes, the classic. They're they're doing the Yorick circuit, basically <laughs> playing the like, hits, yeah. so to speak. It's like you go here, you go to Kansas, you go to Boston, you go to Washington D.C., mm-hmm. you go to New York, all the hits. So they ride off yes. in their <laughs> motorcycle with sidecar, <laughs> and what a sidecar it is. Yes, and then we get this reveal, which yeah, is sort a of a weird coda. reveal. It doesn't like it feels like this should feel like a big deal, but it's really not. It's just we see the the contents of the letter that Yorick wrote to Beth, which she originally she, claimed was yeah. just Yorick saying goodbye, but is actually Yorick asking Beth to befriend Hero. Yes, befriend Hero and roll with her, which like sure. <laughs> It kind of feels like this would have happened anyways to some extent. And it's also mostly Hero's idea mm-hmm. to for them to ride together. But anyways, they roll off Hero and Bethany and Bethany Jr. <laughs> I guess she could be an Elizabeth, but I've always thought of Beth Jr. as Bethany Jr. We then get Buttons, which is another... I mean, I, like, I, I wouldn't call it a filler issue because it really feels like these are, if not needed, certainly welcome yeah, filler issues. filler is not quite right, but they are like quintessential uh, one and dones that are like kind of self-contained and and like you could cut this from the series and not lose anything in terms of like the overarching plot. Yes, but it is providing a level of depth, and you know, obviously, like a character like three fifty five whose history has been so overtly hidden yeah, from us for so long. Like you need to get this one way or another. Yeah, exactly. So we we start with cannibals. Like I feel <laughs> yes. like the things sort of start to get elevated here to some extent. <laughs> it feels like, but yes, they run into some cannibals, uh, which causes three fifty five to flash back first to her childhood with her father, who is uh, a tailor. We find out about three fifty five's family dying. So wait, he's she... a tailor and she's a spy, which means we're just short two. Yeah, he he. Uh, I, uh, shout, out, shout out to Jose Marzon Jr., who, like, we didn't even talk about in the first or in the second uh, chunk of issues that there has already been uh, a second fill-in artist, a different Goran, because I assume because neither of us noticed. But I feel like every time that one of his issues pops up, if you, like, do a side-by-side, it doesn't look identical to Pia Guerra's art by any stretch of the imagination. Like, there's a unique style, but... I think the, the fact that you can are notably different, yeah. yeah. But I think the fact that you can go right through without immediately being like, "Oh, there's a new artist on this issue," like instantly recognizing, at least for me as a not like super artistically minded person, is a testament to how important the consistency of the inking is to the the series as a whole, and keeping keeping the art kind of generally consistent in a way that is usually only possible if you're using the same penciler the whole way through. Like I before this reread, I would often forget that there even are fill-in artists, and especially like how many issues are done by fill-ins is is quite surprising. Yeah, absolutely. This, uh, I mean, again, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't really know how to critique art, but I mean, the art it looks good to me. <laughs> um, 
some good uh some good facial expressions throughout certainly mm-hmm. uh, which you know i've i've grown i've gained that appreciation from scott uh, a well-drawn <laughs> facial expression that can uh, especially one that combines two ideas is is always impressive which is feels like a strength of this book for sure so we see 355 as an orphan she smashes some white guys with a baseball bat um justified of course mm-hmm. And then she is met by the original 355, who is also a black woman, interestingly enough. Um, which, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by any stretch, but it was interesting to me that she was recruited by another woman and by a black woman. I, I do like think you said, this... uh, like, obviously it's supposed to be like when she's well, like, yes. I'm Agent 355. You're supposed to be like, who to who to what? <laughs> yes, certainly. And then... You know, like you said, this is where we get sort of the confirmation more of the structure of the Culper Ring and that there was a previous 355. And then, you know, we go through all of 355's training where she's doing a good job. Well, and first then we, we finally... learn that Nancy is running things these days. Yes, that's a good joke. <laughs> Nancy's calling the shots. Great chime in. <laughs> hey, it's important. I, I made specific uh, acknowledgement that there was going to be a, a Ron reference at some point and... Uh... You know what? Nancy deserves her due as well. Wait, what's I? I'm so lost. What's is there a joke here that I'm missing? No, just that I said earlier that Ronald Reagan was going to get a shout out, and so oh. Nancy Reagan, I think oh, also. Oh, I did not get this joke at <laughs> all. Oh my goodness gracious! Oh, I'm so stupid. Yes, she asks. Young three fifty five asks active 355 who her boss is and she says i used to say ron but between you and me it's really more nancy these days right. she is of and course I, referring... I thought this was like a funny slam <laughs> or not, not, not even a slam just a funny joke that like <laughs> who rules the world like the... colon girls no i i didn't get that it was a reference to anything it was just like it's like oh it's fine that like 355 doesn't know who her boss is <laughs> is what i thought the joke was just like yeah like i guess i report to ron but nancy sort of like gives me all my missions so <laughs> but <laughs> no i completely missed that but what i did not miss is shortly after this when the two 355s have their confrontations yes. or agent 86 as the person we now know as 355 is known that was a confusing sentence, but the two of them meet up e- with each other because the she original is... 355 has joined the Sea Caucus Ring and is about to assassinate Bill Clinton. Clinton for the crimes of what he uh, relations he may or may not have had with Monica Lewinsky. Yes, reference to bringing women to their knees. Yes, classic Clint. <laughs> um, and then yes, the the big conclusion. Is that 55? Oh, it's so confusing when the two characters have the same name. The character we know bites her mentor in the neck, yeah. who then tears out her throat. Yes, which is something that had been previously alluded to by her mentor as well as part of her training. And then we, which sort of brings us full circle to the cannibal thing. Yeah. That, that is apparently what triggered her. And then this encounter happens without us seeing the, the full conclusion of it as well. Mm-hmm. Let's uh let's talk well actually I'll I'll save it because there's a <laughs> specific moment that it's more appropriate to bring it up. We'll we'll move on to a thousand typewriters. An incredible name for an issue that uh and a great cover. And a great a great cover, which is ampersand looking like the 
2001 monkeys yes smashing a typewriter i wish it had a little bit more to do with the content of the issue because having it be the monkey origin issue called a thousand typewriters in a book that insistently references shakespeare is very good but it is of course only the ampersand origin story yeah it's kind of a few things at once because <laughs> i think they wisely realized that perhaps uh <laughs> ampersand its origin story <laughs> on its own is not quite enough to sustain a complete uh issue but we do see ampersand's origin story and this is actually quite crucial it's it's not just a filler ep- a episode because we do see some important stuff specifically that well we get dr, dr. m yes that dr man the male right i th- it's it's unclear i think deliberately oh I, yes I, I always assumed that it was the allison's father but i guess yes it is not ever clear we don't see their face and it it could in fact be uh ming who we haven't met yet at this point but who we will meet sherman oaks (laughs) the most beloved retired character no the uh her al dr man's father's lover right who we will meet later on but who is also a dr m and a biochemist yes so I, I suppose, yes, I I guess I just assumed, but this is not made entirely clear. But there is some intentional um, machinations happening here where Ampersand is being injected with a serum, which maybe potentially explains to us how he became the one creature that is immune to the virus. He does say re while being injected. What? He says re while being oh. injected. I thought you were going to say like, he said, like one of the characters says something regarding something. No, nope. he does say re Allison man, <laughs> <laughs> but he does say re Allison man that he is going to be shipping this monkey who we now know as ampersand to the lab, revealing that this was all part of some broad overarching plot that we haven't gotten all of the answers to yet to unite ampersand with allison and also with yorick right no it's it's a stroke of fate that he ends up with yorick yorick's female companion monkey right if they get switched at the airport (laughs) due to uh yes oh that no sorry they're both males but uh yes they get switched at the airport and yorick mistakenly ends up with ampersand and the baggage guys are like who's gonna know the difference and of course we know and then we get a couple of sort of short interlude parts, which don't really have a ton to do with anything. Mm-hmm. But um, we get just that flashbacks gross, to different curse shot of the cats eating that guy. Yes, we do see an early Yorick, uh, Yorick adventuring where he is going to meet with his lab partner because that is he he believes that's why they have immunity. Their cool experiment course, that they did. Yes, but of course, Kevin is a desiccated corpse all right p as one as one does it's funny that uh, there's this like panel juxtaposition of the cat with ampersand because i know this isn't a pia Guerra issue but i read an interview with her where she talked about meeting a capuchin for the first time because she was like i'd never seen one before and like a lot of ampersand's expressions i modeled on my cat that does make sense <laughs> And then we we get even Ampersand gets a dream sequence. Even Ampersand gets a dream sequence. It's true. Where he is in a bird's nest (laughs) alone in the waves. 
Um, <laughs> one of the eggs hatches to reveal Yorick's face <laughs> in a very wild panel. Yeah. Um, and he is then attacked by our friend the seagull. Mm-hmm. Um, but smash cut to Toyota in Japan doing naked yoga. Yeah, not sure this what is, that's about. It's so strange, like, because that's not really something that he tends to do no or or that you know that tends to happen in this book but just kind of pops up here yeah it's it's very bizarre i don't really know what and i was like i I was trying to like figure out like what was the reasoning behind this exactly like why here why now it feels so incongruous yeah it is a little bizarre uh and and toyota at like to be the character on display also feels weird yeah like, not a character that we really have any attachment or to. Or have seen in anything other than ninja garb. Yeah. Um, a couple of other important things that come up in this issue. Um, we sort of get the establishing... We get an expansion of Yorix. That one episode of Fairly Odd Parents, Everything I Touch Dies <laughs> uh-huh. concept. Um, that expands beyond just human women and to plants and pets and other things, which further increases the significance of his and ampersand's relationship together i suppose and then we also find out that ampersand caught his name from yorick talking about screenplay credits Mm -hmm. which is just a very yorick thing to have happened um and you know obviously i loved that talk that that if two people co-wrote a screenplay they get the ampersand credit Mm -hmm. whereas if it was two different drafts it's the and we all love that it's an important part of my movie award spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't we say we'd have a recurring bit where I <laughs> read things from my movie spreadsheet? I don't recall. I also have my, also have my music tier list <laughs> where I have uh, almost every Weezer, Taylor Swift, Drake, and the 1975 song ranked or rate, rated, oh, not ranked. Oh, boy. But they've all been giving uh, rankings ranging from F to S. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just want to ask about a song by any of those artists, I can give you my rating. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the next arc. <laughs> well, hold on. We haven't mentioned that York escapes by pulling a you on our mom move. What's this? Urinating directly into the eye. Oh, ampersand. Yes. Oh, Yorick. No, oh, you're sorry. Doing yeah, I am doing it. Yes. Ampersand escapes Toyota uh, with a stream to the face. A movie you famously pulled on my mother as an infant. Oh, <laughs> uh, what can I say? Uh, you've had the you've had the aim since uh, since day one. Sure, but yes, smash cut to Japan, uh, opening with a scene the thesis of which is Japan weird. Yes, are, are we are we getting into the beginning of paper? We dolls are now? Uh, getting into the beginning of kimono dragons. Yes. Oh, sorry, I'm not doing well today. It's a problem. Um, yes, this is real straight white dude talking about some <laughs> Japan type branding. It is indeed. Uh, it has obviously been a while because Rose's hair has grown out a bit, as has Yorick's to say the least. Yes, I, I actually like this this look for Yorick. Yorick, Yorick um, is in disguise as a Persona 5 character. <laughs> I've my my first thought for some reason was the world ends with you, but Persona Five is also very on point. He looks like a JRPG character. <laughs> He's in an oversized suit. Um, he has a, a what do you call that? Like a bowler hat. Yeah. Uh, he's wearing a mask. Before it was cool. Yeah. 
He's got like a tie and a vest. He he looks like a character who like doesn't fight with his hands but has very powerful kicks. <laughs> <laughs> or or who like maybe controls like a psychic puppet of some kind. Yes, exactly. He he doesn't fight you directly, but he has some kind of special abilities. And he also has some some eyeliner as well. It's, yeah. it's kind of a cool look, honestly, in my opinion. At it's least. a it's a bold statement. So this is the fashion corner that I was going to bring up earlier, but obvious for obvious reasons, felt was more important now. So York is certainly distinct in this <laughs> regard. But shout out to three fifty five is mostly the <laughs> what I wanted to bring up here. The the consistent black suit with I think she's usually wearing a turtleneck, but. Uh, the black suit with black top is uh, an iconic look for her, and uh, and she always makes it work in any situation. It really transitions well from uh, from the office to the street uh, to the club. So you're basically mostly just saying you wish that you could rock this look. Uh, what, I'm not not saying what I'm that for sure. Uh, I mean, certainly I wish I had the body type that I could wear a turtleneck, but alas. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yes, I mean, I think I think we talked about this actually in a previous episode, but I do always love when characters get new outfits, and obviously Yorick has constantly changing hair lengths and little little additions to his character design, which I always find fun. Mm-hmm. His hair is like sort of like reddish for this art, yeah. Which like, I don't know if that it was. It feels like they've changed to like a a more digital coloring technique. Not not like brand new with this arc, but. Yeah, it it definitely feels different from the early issues. Yeah, certainly. Oh, another big thing that we forgot to mention, which is that the at the end of a thousand typewriters, ampersand escape. Oh wait, you you mentioned the eye urination, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, but he he escapes from Toyota. He runs off, and so Toyota is now finding every capuchin monkey in Japan <laughs> and killing anyone who stands in her yes. way. Big. Uh... Big big DDI agent, uh, what a yes, Romero exactly. energy, bone marrow, much like York himself. Mm. Yes, there's a there's a great panel here, which is the monkey cradling his owner's severed head. <laughs> uh, it's a good bit, but yeah. So Rose and Allison go to yes, we split the party. Yes, again, and there's <laughs> there's a weird lab, which is ostensibly Allison's mother's lab. Mm-hmm. Which, but it's like a very sort of zen type setting. The cherry blossoms are in bloom. Well, we will learn later that she is a homeopathic surgeon. Yes, that that gave me pause as well. <laughs> Which I guess kind of makes sense that this is where her lab would be. I suppose so. Yeah, but you, but the the like like the lab itself, it's hard to tell because it's a burnt wreck when we first see it. But yeah, it spoilers. appears to be in a pagoda <laughs> question mark <laughs> yes it's like a very like i mean i don't even know how i would describe like this japanese architecture but it looks like it looks like a japanese painting basically in terms of where it's set and they walk across like this weird bridge which is just like logs in water it's it's very strange that this is the chosen setting for the lab despite the homeopathy of it all Indeed. but yeah so they they are off trying to find dr man's mother well, 355 and York are off uh, trying to find Ampersand. They have the tracker still at this point, I believe. Yes. Yes, they do, because uh, you will later destroy it. But it, it brings them to uh, a club owned by you where she has taken some like male animatronic real dolls 
and like beefed them up from a like an AI perspective, I guess. Yes, she has like made a massive breakthrough <laughs> in Android technology um, and has gained the has basically created like the world's first sex bot, which she uses to to make her living. Something you skipped over is that Yorick says something smells like Denmark. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just a real a real Yorick joke of the highest order. We also get a, a quick flash of Hero and Beth here as well, where we see yes, that they successfully... Beth's daughter has been born. <laughs> Uh, yes, Bethany Jr. is uh, is has achieved self actualization, and they have successfully delivered the uh, your your ampersand uh, feces sample to the lab and to Baby Vlad. Right, of course, Baby Vlad. Yes, and then and then what happens here? Oh, right, we find out that sort of that Japan has been taken over by a Canadian pop star. Yes, Epiphany. <laughs> a- truly strange character yeah who... this, is, this is a weird arc as a whole <laughs> the epiphany being yes, good a... like the the villain of it really <laughs> encapsulates that it's so strange so yes this canadian pop star and who do we think that this is meant to be emulating 2006 Boy, yeah nelly two, furtado 2006 I Avril Lavigne maybe I Vaughn just likes to sprinkle occasional little Canada things in there because his wife is Canadian yeah I, I was like oh yeah isn't he Canadian and then I looked up and he's like no he's not <laughs> he's, he's of course one of the Cleveland Bryans as we've discussed two of my favorite right. family guy characters uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> no 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 <laughs> No, 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 no. Anyways, yeah, he's from Cleveland, but his <laughs> wife is from Ottawa, and he has like spent like time in Canada with her family, I guess. But anyway, yeah, he like he wrote "Stand on We Stand on Guard," which is like the weird Canadian sci-fi story that we're not going to cover. Oh, right. And he likes to just sprinkle little Canada references in every now and then, and I think Epiphany is one of those. Yes. So Epiphany is I truly this is baffling do they even get into detail as to how How she she achieved her position the new leader of the yakuza yeah oh it just says she used her wealth and influence to gain control of various street gangs and yes she is in possession of ampersand like she she kind of has like grimes vibes (laughs) (laughs) not this these are two unrelated statements but (laughs) she is like she seems like very strung out not very good with money (laughs) Not great at running the Yakuza. Um, but what she does have is ampersand in a tuxedo. Of course. Uh, just hanging out. But this is mostly sidelined at this point by Rose and Allison getting to her mother's backup lab, basically. Yes, so which is just like a, which is a greenhouse. They determined that the fire was caused by arson and there's no signs of uh, anyone having been in it when they burned it down. So they have gone to her homeopathic lab, followed by Toyota, who is like kind of counting on them to lead her to Dr. Man's mother. Yes. And then and so then when the the, the end reveal of this particular issue is that rose gets stabbed from behind through the tubby um and we obviously i assume all expect it to be toyota mm-hmm. but it is in fact the other doctor man allison's yes. mother of course we can see that it's, Matsu. it's a chinese style sword not <laughs> toyota's <laughs> yes. signature katana yes it actually is a notable distinction if you uh, if you look at it there but and then we get 
uh, we just get a little interlude with the president discovering that Yorick's mother is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, in fact, we get a... Despite the singular bang, she's been triple tapped. One in the chest, <laughs> right. one in the neck, one in the head. Yes. Well, maybe she had her two uh, friends with her again. Mm, perhaps. Um, yes. And so I think most of this issue, generally speaking, oh, no, it kind of cross cuts. Um, so on one side, you have the two doctors man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Doctor men. Doing... Yes, the doctorman doing surgery on Rose. Um, and the big reveal that comes out of this is that the... Is it is it Matsumori? Is that the name? That, the original? Yeah, that is Allison's yeah. father's name. Right. So <laughs> whatever the elder doctor man is named, mm-hmm. she is aware of Yorick because she is connected to the president, President Valentine, mm-hmm. Um, because they had met buds. some conference because because she was previously secretary of agriculture a good callback <laughs> um, and so basically it was her who sort of arranged for allison to become the the candidate to take on ampersand yes is that and you know there's a and there's a lot of other stuff that gets alluded to like the fact that he she is sending ampersand to allison to keep her out of the hands of someone else and all that stuff mm-hmm. um and the issue concludes with toyota showing up um and then to cut just to cut back to york and 55 they're sort of going through the hotel where epiphany is holed up yes with you it's very confusing that he did that. I know he likes to do these bits. <laughs> he sure but... does. Uh, 355 certainly attempts to shoot a young girl in the head, <laughs> yes. but is out of ammo, question mark, or the gun jams? Yes, she unfortunately is unable to complete her infanticide. Um, so they are, once again, back in a hotel, as they were in the last arc, trapped in trapped in they, their imprisonment. Mm-hmm. They talk about the Beatles. Yes, so this is this is the take that I have a real issue with. Yorick says that the worst Beatles song is Everybody Has Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey, which I would say is not even like a bottom 10 song on the White Album. <laughs> yes. If you're going to bring up a song from the White Album, there are many more options to choose from. We find and, out and that Yorick is very strongly anti-Yoko. Yes, very strongly anti-Yoko. And also, it seems that the reason he doesn't like everyone has some, everybody has something to hide except for me and my monkey is that he and his monkey do both have <laughs> something to hide. So he feels Oof. that it doesn't speak to his experience. It's false advertising, <laughs> yes. Uh, of course, you know my name. Look up the number. Is my long-standing uh, entry is for the for worst, worst Beatles, Beatles song? song. That's a terrible. What's take? the worst that's, Beatles song? I mean, like Honey Pie, like something that's like totally unlistenable. <laughs> you know my name. Look up the number. Is so charming. Uh, it's so it's so bizarre. I think the problem is that it's on Past Masters. And yeah, it so comes, you think it's a real it song comes after like <laughs> it's don't let me down yeah it's after like let it be and don't let me down and then you know my name look up the number comes on and it does not benefit from the juxtaposition yes perhaps not it, it's it's like a very it's yes i always remember it being described as a music hall comedy number <laughs> in the wikipedia article for it uh it was the b-side to let it be <laughs> They refer to it as a comedy record, which isn't quite 
it's not quite it's exactly not that, like but. it's a comedy record in so far as like it has john lennon on it going you you know <laughs> you know my name <laughs> but in so far as like actually having like jokes <laughs> or comedy to speak of oh i, I would hesitate to it's, uh, a, it's a vibe piece certainly <laughs> certainly i've never been on that particular vibe but <laughs> <laughs> you never wanted to know you ever want to someone to look up your number i mean i certainly have referenced it when i want someone to look up a number for me but uh that really sounds like something you would do, <laughs> I'm yes. I'm pretty sure I've done it to you. That would make sense. So, I mean, another thing that, just just to throw in here, a lot of slurs in the last few arcs. Yes, I mean, like, to be very... fair, she's quoting the title of a song, at least for this one. Oh, I, I was referring to, like, I mean, the R word, the F word are, like, just thrown about. It I was mean, the usually early by... 2000s. <laughs> yes, <laughs> usually by unsympathetic characters, but, like, you're really just throwing them out. Mm-hmm. But, yes, I, th- um, I we think, sort of get... I think, to, uh, as, like, as far as the R word goes, I think that that at least, like, captures the vernacular of the day. Like, if he's trying, yes, to, if think... he's trying to write it to be like, this is how the young people talk. Yeah, like it's not an unfair reflection. No, but it's also like you really seem to like throwing that in there yeah. as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, um, there's plenty of that in Swamp Thing as well. It certainly is an element of like the the edgy streak that Vaughn has for sure, and like he likes to push the envelope a little bit language wise. Yeah, the sort of the sort of vernacular uh, dialogue it certainly lends itself to that kind of talk. Mm very Tarantino. Um, another thing yes exactly that's a great comparison another element that sort of gets touched on and i think we we don't really see the resolution of most of this stuff because the arc ends and then we get sort of just individual issues for the last two correct yes um so basically one thing that gets talked about is sort of that like you said 355 is willing to kill a child she like sort of goes into this hotel that they're trying to storm very much guns blazing and just like kills people very quickly without really making an attempt to dispatch them um, which is sort of she alludes to the idea of just sort of like being very tired of how not guilty about killing people she feels basically is what it seems yeah, like she's she's kind of getting like ptsd yes and certainly seems extremely exhausted by all this which makes sense because she has had to do the bulk <laughs> yeah, of the work to say that she's carrying the team is <laughs> yeah. an understatement <laughs> exactly um and then you ends up dispatching epiphany she sort of becomes the new leader of the yakuza yes. a little bit because she's got good business sense Yes, she she encourages. She basically just says, "Like, do you guys really want to work for Epiphany?" And then that works basically. Yep. Which is funny after like they already heard <laughs> Epiphany like publicly bash. She's got so a bit of a Gina Linetti energy as well <laughs> that she's <laughs> she like badmouths sure. them. She's they a wild here, and then she's like, "They already know. I think they're human garbage." <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So let's 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 tie up all these loose ends let's. here. They have so three fifty five and York have an intimate moment, almost kind of, and then yes, they 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 appear like they're about to kiss, perhaps, and then ampersand appears at the ampersand door. Ampersand appears and frees them. You uh, gets the yakuza to become gangsters of love. A great line, indeed. But yes, and uh, and they are able to 
get out and make a phone call to Kansas to <laughs> to check in. Like I'm not sure I'm not sure why yeah, exactly she, she de- he he decides that the people in Kansas are who they need to get a hold of. I guess, you know, she just he gets an opportunity to call everyone she wants to. Right. So, yes, he informs Hero that Beth is in Paris, uh-huh. which I assume will come into play later. And, of course, we see that Alter is <laughs> rolling on up again on the lab. <laughs> yes, Alter's back to her old ways. <laughs> Only this um, time with thanks. Yes. Um, but also the conclusion of the whole Allison Rose. Yes. Toyota, Dr. Matsumori thing. Um, another thing that happens is that Rose admits to being a spy while she is under the influence. Yes. Which is something that Allison sort of overlooks or she she denies it, but, you know, obviously she knows what's going down. Yep. Um, and then Toyota and Dr. Matsumori leave. Well, yeah, Toyota, Toyota kidnaps Dr. Matsumori and tantalizes dr man by saying that if she brings her the monkey then she'll find out who really caused the plague yes that there's the idea that there is an individual person responsible Mm -hmm. is the big thing that she alludes to yeah and so then oh we we do get one other major development here not in this arc but in these last couple of issues um a few actually so there's two more one-off issues after this the first one is the Tin Man, which is an Allison-centric issue. So we get her childhood, you know, in what well, place started well, in Japan. <laughs> hold on. Uh, just what is going on here? The cover of this issue, I'm a little confused yeah. by. She's looking in a bathroom mirror, and in the reflection of the bathroom mirror, she sees a men's bathroom door that is labeled Man. Yeah, because that's her name. Right. And she draws the backwards N so that it spells man, her name. But have you ever seen a men's room that just says man on it? I feel like it always no. says men's. <laughs> or, no. or men. Well, I'm, oh, come on. I, it, I'm not saying it's like the most egregious thing ever. I just, every time I see, because it's so prominent <laughs> in the cover, I'm always like, man. <laughs> it's true. And it I'm is, like, have I ever seen like... that that I can recall? Like, I don't think I have. It's all, it's like you're an Italian restaurant. It's like paisans yeah. and <laughs> bellas. <Pisettes. laughs> yeah. And, and the Spanish restaurant. <laughs> Peters and Lois's. Uh, guys and dolls. Ladies and germs. Sure, sure again. What not there one at the at Eastside Burial? I'm just trying to remember that. Or Jack Astor's, I feel like, has one. I feel like there's one where it's like, the women's it's like dames and then the guys are just like pieces of shit <laughs> <laughs> that certainly is a big like that's that's the jack astor's vibe for sure <laughs> the jack astor's promise is that they will they will break you down uh, but yeah sorry we to, are open indeed <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good bit actually it is a good bit yes so we get Doctor Man is suffering a medical emergency, and then flashes yeah, back. Well, I mean, yes, that's that's the that's more at the end is where that sort of becomes important. Where we see it comes full circle. Yes. But you know, we see Allison's childhood. We see her walking in on her father during his affair with this person, Doctor Bing. 
I do like the bit that we don't see Dr. Man's face for a long time, or Dr. Dr. Matsumori Sr. Yes, very much so. So, you know, we just get sort of a few vignettes of her childhood. Where So they leave Japan. Uh, they go to America while her dad goes to Hong Kong. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, and then we see, like, teenage slash college-aged Allison. Uh, hanging out outside Man's Chinese Theater, which it apparently was called for you know just the perfect window for her to take it on as her name yes she's really she's got a look going here she sure does she's making a statement no glasses i assume no she glasses. has contacts you know she's got the jewel she's she's sort of rocking a i suppose you would call it a punk aesthetic yeah like her hair is punk. truly inexplicable yeah yeah sort it, of like it's like a tentacle mohawk it's like spiky dreads <laughs> But yes, we see her meeting her first girlfriend. We see her getting dumped by her first girlfriend and getting her heart broken. We learn that her girlfriend was just going through a phase. Yes. Um, we see her sort of arguing with her father. Yes, her, so her father is in America at first, but then leaves, I think. And he goes to Hong Kong. Is that correct? Yes, or that is correct. He goes to China. Um, and to, to work with Dr. Ming as well. <laughs> work with, you know. Uh-huh. And like you said, we see their breakup, and then we see that the most important scene of this, which is Sunil, <laughs> her student, when she's yes. teaching at Harvard, he tells her that Dr. Matsumori, the male, yes, is like about to clone himself. Allegedly. Yes, allegedly about to clone himself. She kind of freaks out <laughs> and decides that she is going to clone herself. Uh, with Sunil as her assistant. Yeah, I'm not clear. Like, she's, what does she need him for? Just to do the prenatal care that he's like... Yeah, just not, that she can't really like doctor herself, I suppose, is the idea. I have to assume that she's basically like literally just using him as a set of hands because there's no yeah, way that... I think that she just needs an assistant, basically. This like undergrad chemistry student. <laughs> well, you think, you think Dr. Man's teaching undergrad? Mm, that's fair. Anyways, and so after this, so basically we get this this sort of foreboding warning from Sunil that that we don't really know what we're doing here, attempting this cloning experiment, and that it could have disastrous long term repercussions. And then we we sort of see why he this is being shown to us mm -hmm. because Allison is having some sort of terrible bleeding and yeah and is is like clearly is suffering some long term effects. Yes, you have of course blown right by York's uh, obscene gesture, <laughs> for which <laughs> yes, I feel that if you had asked, like if high school David was here, he probably knows the name of this. <laughs> but it's, I couldn't wow, remember. It's a, it's a classic bit. It's, it is. You make you make the V with you your go, fingers, ah. and, you, and you go LLL. Very extremely screen capable panel. <laughs> That's sure. all I have to say about. I it. don't know what I don't know what context you would use it in. I did. Uh, I, I did mean, take keep a your eyes peeled. You might be finding out sometime this week. <laughs> oh, I hope not. Um, I did take a screen cap of the submarine's alarm going ooey ooh and said i look just like buddy holly and then we get to the final issue in this in this set of issues jahana which is now an alter backstory i was i was looking at the cover of this on like i, I just sort of follow along on the dc database just to make sure i'm on the right issue and i found out that one can see a free preview of dead man 
inside this issue. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of a lot of free previews going on in uh, in Why the Last Man around this time. I'm American sorry, Virgin, I believe, is also uh, in one of these. Not Famel. Sounds good though. They made a spinoff about you, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, it is in fact in the uh, 355 Origin issue, an exclusive preview of American Virgin. Cheers. So you know, Alter kind of gets the same the same treatment that yeah. everyone else does. But like, much like everyone else, her her father dies, <laughs> or her family members die. Yes. Uh, oh no, it's her sister that dies. Is well, the yes, main, she uh, she knows she she's using the twins against each other as leverage, threatening to kill one to get the other to talk. Uh, and of course, this stems out of her own tragic past with her sister. And also, she hates Palestinians because that one boy was didn't didn't come to meet her. <laughs> Is that what we're to take away from this? I mean, it's a contributing factor, certainly. Also, the the suicide oh, oh, sorry. bomber He's that Jordanian. shows up at the military base, um, which sort of um, reveals her insubordination, certainly. Uh, well, Sadie's uh, secret origin as well. Yes, it is a Sadie secret origin for sure. You know, it reveals the perhaps short-sightedness of some of the male officers in the IDF. And then we sort of see how Alter gets promoted to her her position. Yes. And, uh, and we learn that, in fact, her sister, who to this point in the issue has been held up as the motivating thing that uh, drives her in the IDF to avenge her because she was supposedly killed by a suicide bomber as well. We learn, in fact, she was bulldozed by an IDF force. Woof. Yes, and so it's, we sort of get Alter's overriding philosophy that basically get busy living or get busy dying seems Indeed. to be her general idea. But also, and okay, so the ending of this issue I didn't quite get. Also, the, the title Jahana is like, basically jewish purgatory yeah which is sort of alluded to in the issue itself but yes yeah, so the end of this is that alter reveals that yorick has been or at least people have been in australia have yeah. been hunt, since like, since have his, been hunting po- his photo was published there have basically been like special ops <laughs> attacks from several different countries on australian soil Yes, and then Alter identifies herself as, rather than saying that she is Yorick's enemy, she refers to herself as the savior, Yes, and she... then holds up a photo. Yeah. So what is this photo? It's a bunch, well, I, I mean, I'll tell you what it is. It's a bunch <laughs> of people shooting at each other. It's, it's a crazy moment, certainly, for someone to have said, better snap a pic. Yes, I was wondering about the photographer's it's, role in this. Uh, demonstration of some some bad military tactics by one side, <laughs> at least, I have to say. The other side not doing terribly hot either, but at least they have some semblance of cover. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I wasn't exactly clear either what this is supposed to be showing, if it's if it's like the IDF fighting off yes these other attacking forces yeah, or or what exactly but she's holding it up as proof that she intends to protect Yorick from other countries who may have more nefarious agendas yes so uh, a slightly strange uh, note to end the uh end this set of issues on but Certainly. maybe maybe we'll get a better explanation later um david what were your overarching thoughts on this set of issues so we have the girl on girl arc 
the Paper Dolls arc in Australia, the Kimono Dragons arc, and then also these six self-contained issues. Well, not really self-contained, but more flashback-oriented issues. Yes, it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag here for me. I think Kimono Dragons is one of the weaker stories overall, like maybe down there just above Cycles and and possibly <laughs> not not above anything else. It's 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 just fine. It's kind of like it does a lot of legwork for setting up some important things that are going to happen in the next bit, but uh unfortunately like doing setup is not very glamorous work in in storytelling and to have a lot of the setup happening here without much resolution and have like the setup is basically the B plot, all the stuff with Dr. Man, whereas the A plot stuff with the Yakuza is like just kind of bizarre <laughs> and, and yeah, not just not really up my alley. I do like paper dolls a lot. I think it's a fun story. Um, and the origin issues basically are mostly good i think a little bit of a mixed bag as well and it's un- not i don't know it's it's a little bit tough to have them so clustered like this i don't know how exactly you would spread them out more other than like the obviously the um 355 one can go pretty much anywhere but it is it is a little unfortunate that they're all clustered together like this because i think they lose a bit of their sort of oomph it feels like it should be like when you get to one of these like origin issues you're like oh at last like the origin of dr man but to have like yeah to have five of them in like a 10 issue stretch is a lot um so just pacing wise i don't love that even though i like most of the individual stories Uh, yeah and then girl on girl is good i i like i like rose as a character so i like her introduction there um, I do like that uh, it it presents York with a little bit more of like a moral dilemma uh, than is typical in in some of the other arcs, uh, and and like walks that sort of shade of gray line a bit better than has been previously done. But uh, yeah, so I think I think mixed bag kind of sums it up for this stretch. Uh, it did succeed in getting me excited for the home stretch, though. Yeah, I think I'd largely agree with you. Definitely in regards to the flashback issues it the right amount of you know (laughs) the frequency feels like if you if you're getting one in between each arc that feels correct and then in this uh set of issues you get three at one point which just feels like way too much two is you know more understandable especially because there are so many different players sort of doing their things in different places at the same time so it's more understood like you know, the, the Allison-centric issue and the Alter issue are very different from each other and also sort of have maybe more long-term ramifications in very different ways compared to each other. Um, in terms of the more substantial arcs, I would agree with you. I think really, like like you said, I think the A-plots are like the weakest parts of these. I like the way that the characterization is handled a lot of the time. Like I, we get plenty of just two characters interacting with each other, which I think... Now that we've had time to establish these characters and establish their relationships with each other, those conversations are a lot more interesting. Um, And then it gets to the point maybe where they're a little more interesting than whatever is happening in the given arc. I I do see like Komodo Dragons just felt a little weird to me. I'd say my favorite of these is probably Girl on Girl, just because it it felt like it did. Yeah, I mean, it's freaking sweet. <laughs> but just because it feels a little more like 
what we've seen before. And also a lot of the plot right now feels like it's spinning its wheels a little mm-hmm. where it's like, I mean, I guess it did end up with them getting Ampersand back at the end of this set of arcs, but it does feel like it's sort of just them constantly going somewhere and then sort of either being too late or finding out they have to go somewhere else or something like that, which is something that happens a lot in the first set of arcs as well, which I find a little frustrating. It definitely feels like if there is a um, place to trim the fat, it's in these issues. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm not totally sure how you do. Like, I guess like because Paper Dolls is only you said three issues, right? Mm-hmm. It feels longer than that to me. But also, like, <laughs> it it does feel like the important stuff from like a macro plot perspective that happens in this whole stretch between Paper Dolls and Kimono Dragons, you could fit all into like one three issue arc if you were just focused on those particular things. Yeah, but then it's like, do you really want? this book to be like more heavily plot focused well not really i don't think like the character moments and the humor are obviously welcome so and it's still you know it's still extremely readable like i went through these very quickly even though we did we're covering 17 issues here Mm -hmm. it it was still a breeze to cover especially when you have those individual issues peppered in like having that new perspective and sort of new storyline break up the arcs is definitely helpful no doubt no doubt no doubt (laughs) most definitely um (laughs) do we do we have any awards talk today i believe we do i can't remember if we talked about um the 2006 awards at our last one i tend to just tune out during these so (laughs) oh do you i cannot tell you (laughs) well the sad uh truth of things is that for 2006 at the Harveys starting off big old goose egg for our uh, our dear friends at why the last man and for 2007 which would be for the bulk of the issues that we covered in this stretch again uh zip zilch nothing wow yeah ed brubaker uh, takes best writer for daredevil frank sure. quietly is best artist for all-star superman yeah Jaime Hernandez, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> Jaime Hernandez as uh, best cartoonist for Eleven Rockets. Uh, best continuing series is Daredevil by Ed Brubaker. Best single issue, Civil War number one. An interesting pick for the Harveys, I have to say. Beating out Fun Home. Oh, we've talked about this one before. Yeah, we have. We have talked about Civil War winning something. I can't Was this remember for, why it would have been. It would have been making comics, right? Yeah. Civil, yeah, Civil War number one, winning the Harvey over Fun Home, Ganges number one, Mom's <laughs> Cancer, Pride of Baghdad, Solo number 11, and Schizo number four, which quite a collection. Okay, Brian K. Vaughn does take best graphic album of original work for Pride of Baghdad, but as far as the Y front, um, yeah, nada. Uh, meanwhile, at the Eisners, uh, I believe it's going to be nothing again for Y specifically. Oh no, that's so, not true. Just to just to place us in time a little bit here, maybe. So, where in terms of like Runaways, Ultimate X Men, and X Machina, like where are we with each of those? So, for two thousand six, so Brian K. Vaughn is nominated for best serialized story twice: once for Ooh. Paper Dolls, which is thirty seven to thirty nine, mm-hmm. and then. Also for an ex machina arc called uh, Fact versus Fiction, which is twelve to fourteen. 
So okay, about uh, about twenty five issues roughly behind. In, uh, but in, they but they are running concurrently. They are they're running concurrently. I think Runaways is between volumes right now, or maybe just over. And I'm pretty sure that Ultimate X Men just is over. Right. Yes, because I the one I do know that Runaways it sort of took it catching on in trades to become like more of a thing and then get restarted right yeah but yes uh so nomination for best serialized story for paper dolls he'll get uh, ex machina gets a best continuing series nom but not why brian k vaughn gets a nomination best writer i think we did talk about this one last time but uh yeah it gets a nomination as best writer for ex machina why the last man and runaways so it sounds like runaways is potentially still going but I think it ended its first round uh, in the previous year, possibly. Right. Okay. That's all tracking for me. Uh-huh. And then 2007, <laughs> which is the year we had not uh, not discussed yet. It's looking like a goose egg for uh, dear old Brian Michael. It does. It happens. The Even the best of us sometimes miss out on Eisner nominations. It's true. The only nomination why The Last Man related is that uh, Clem Robbins is nominated for Best Lettering for his work in BPRD, The Dark Horse Book of Monsters, Hellboy, Loveless, 100 Bullets, and Why The Last Man. Otherwise, for him. Uh, Zero Zilch Nada for The Y Crew in 2007, which uh, I don't blame them, to be honest. Yeah, and just, you know, sort of, it seems like the classic sort of, like, it's in its, like, third going on fourth year. Yeah. It kind of, it, it makes sense as, you know, something that slips into the background a little bit compared to other new hot things. Yep. Uh, speaking of new hot things, as we have discussed previously, one of the nominees for Best New Series, Gumby by Bob Burden and Rick Geary. Oh, uh, the mad, the mad genius behind <laughs> the absolute madman. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll back our way into covering more Gumby in the future. Uh, if it's more Bob Burden's Gumby, I don't know if I want to. He <laughs> well, did he did the winter fun special or the summer fun special, which not the winter one, not the winter fun special. Oh, man, the winter fun special is so good. <laughs> This has got to be in the top five worst things I've ever seen is still <laughs> a joke that comes to mind for me frequently. Gumby. Love me some some Gumby Winter Fun special. So say we all certainly. Um, but I think that is going to do it for this episode. Um, obviously, next episode, we will be finishing Why the Last Man. So that'll be issues 49 through 60. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. Book a, book a solid chunk because the <laughs> the ending boy lots to book unpack. A solid chunk <laughs> of time in your schedule for the right. for the record. Yeah, it's also well. Never mind. What? So that's me going to the bathroom. Oh, book yeah. a solid chunk. Book a solid chunk. It doesn't quite uh, care. It doesn't yeah, quite work. Not, not quite. <laughs> that's why I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> that's me trying to get Dwayne Johnson on to uh, be a be a guest on an episode. Because he's a rock? Because I'm trying to book a solid chunk. Oh, like a chunky hunk? Yeah. Me <laughs> fast fucking John Gabris on the podcast? <laughs> book a chunk. <laughs> a whole snack, as they call it. Uh-huh. But yeah, so look forward to that. In- enjoy this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we beg of you. Don't forget to... Um, 
Okay, here we go. To radiate and intubate mm. us on, on <laughs> Apple. This certainly is... the podcast is on life support. So <laughs> certainly this bit is on life support. <laughs> but of course, uh, make sure to do that. Give us all the stars that you can muster, mm-hmm. um, download and preload, etc. Yeah, and join us next time. And as always... To be continued. But not like the streaming service, to be. Yeah. Do to be? No. I don't think it exists in Canada, but there's a streaming service called to be, and I think that's funny. T-U-B-I? T-U-B-I, of course. Doing a quick goog. An ad-supported streaming service owned by the Fox Corporation. Classic. Anyways, um, people also ask, is Tubi really free? <laughs> is Tubi real? Is Tubi legal in Australia? <laughs> okay, the episode's over. Goodbye. <laughs>